Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Creative Kale, a box set podcast spin-off. Uh, uh, Marsha joins me now you may know Marsha from our uh, box set podcast um, has joined us at various points in the past she's just been off travelling the world and she's back now and I uh, really wanted to talk to Marsha because she's she lives in Canada now and she was in Britain uh, she lives there and also just that um, if it wasn't for Marsha Jamie and I would never have got anywhere in radio I don't think and that's true of a lot of people you were always very good at uh, encouraging people weren't you and hello Marsha hi hi um I think we should tell the story of when we first met because I was doing I, if I you was even in, remember it <laughs> I remember it so well I was yeah, in Manchester for we were trying to get a license in Manchester for XFM before there was one and um and so we were doing a one month broadcast and you two had sent me so I just had an email with an attachment and I just assumed it was a demo and I quite like listening to people's demos and helping them but I was like oh I'll get to that and it took me days or weeks to get to it and then when I listened it wasn't a demo at all it was just YouTube being like hello <laughs> hi Marsh help us and um and it was really funny and i got you to send me a demo and it was it was dreadful the links were like 10 minutes long i mean it's dreadful if you're if you're trying to get into commercial music radio where you are often not allowed to speak for more than 30 seconds um but i could i could hear the magic and so uh and we did yeah i feel like actually of everyone i've i've listened to you guys have been the most the most extreme example of me being able to hear the magic among a lot of like, oh my god, <laughs> you've got a lot of work to do, but there's something very, very special Jesus. underneath. Jesus, wow! <laughs> well, yeah. here's my version of that story. Oh yeah, I want um, to hear that. I'd completely forgotten that we we just sent you a message, a recorded message saying, "Hi, Marsha, we're Helen and Jamie. We want you to help us." I'd yeah. completely forgotten that. Um, I thought we just emailed you and then we waited about six months and then you emailed us back um and we sent you a demo after that but no uh wow how inventive of us um uh, us i mean me obviously as if jamie even <laughs> wanted to pick up the email um and uh and then marcia met us i was directing a play at manchester met uni and you came and sat in the radio studio there um on oxford road with us and met us for the first time and gave us some notes on, on what i would remember as being just a hundred percent supportive notes on our excellently edited tight demo <laughs> this, this is the first i've heard that maybe we <laughs> We went on a bit too much. A little bit. How interesting. I mean, I don't doubt it, for, but well done for not um, pointing that out because it. Well, the part of this creative kale expedition for me is learning about myself. I'm now in my 30s. I've quit the the mainstream radio thing for now and um 
and and in various mid thirties crises of of now looking back at it and going, uh, and what one of those things looking back and going, uh, oh, we were excellent, you know, it's kind of. I, I thought we were rubbish, and then I look back and I listen to a lot of stuff we did um, by accident. I c- come across like clips of things we did, and I go, "Oh, that was brilliant! How can you, you were brilliant. think so?" You bad? Were brilliant. I mean, you both still are, but, um, but but yeah, you were incredible radio. But this is this is the f- thanks. This is the flip of that, which is also no. You also like what well, oh, you needed a, to learn a lot. <laughs> like, there was a lot to learn as well, which is nice. So it's uh, yeah, it's good to hear that we weren't. It's good to hear that it's not just this, like, there's a period of my life where I had a, a heyday followed by massive self-doubt. It was like, no, <laughs> actually, um, we were learning all along. and um, yeah. I also, so. I also think there's no such thing as a heyday. And I think as creative people, especially, especially if you've done something very shiny, you know, there was a point with me in radio where there was actually several points with me in radio where everyone was like, Oh my God, Marsh, you're the next big thing. Like you're this. And I was doing demos for this giant radio station and that one. And, um, but actually I've now ended up doing, which we should explain what it is, but I've now ended up doing this job that it wasn't just that I never thought I would do this job. It's that you could have given me like 10 million hours and endless pencils and pieces of paper and asked me to write down every job that exists in the world. And I never would have written this one down because I never, never would have crossed my mind. And, um, and I'm, so I teach people how to tell stories. I teach people how to tell true stories. And so most of my work is spent just sitting, asking people to tell me these totally fascinating stories. And I get to like learn about, like I know now from the inside what it's like to have a brain tumor and have it taken out of your brain in a brain operation. I know what it's like to run into a black bear and then spend the next hour lying on, you know, panicked on the ground while it snuffles and licks you. I know what it's like, like so many, all you know, I know what it's like to work in corporate mining and go to a diamond mine and have to be strip searched afterwards. And one of many things that makes me obsessed with storytelling is that when we hear stories, our brain responds as if we're inside the story. Like our brain, like if you, if someone tells you about something they smell, your olfactory system lights up. You know, if they tell you about gripping a pencil, your motor part. So my brain has, has like genuinely, when I say I know how it feels, like I'm going through that experience with people. And also because of, because I'm trying to story coach them, I'm getting all of the details out. So I'm really, anyway, and so my point is, I love my job now. And like when I was in radio, I, for, for so many years, I was like, this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. And, um, and it never, you know, I thought, I thought either I would, I would make it or I'd fail. And it never occurred to me that there was a third option. And I think often as creative people, if we do something shiny and exciting, there is a tendency to be like, that was my heyday or, you know, I'm an artist and I had this exhibition that everyone loved, or I'm a journalist. And there was a point where I was getting loads of work, but actually I think you can have all sorts of different kinds of heydays. And then also the thing which you're probably experiencing (laughs) during your crisis, which is I want to have a nice time. And like, I do miss, I miss a few things. I miss DJing to a room full of 2000 or 5,000 people. That's, an amazing thing that that is like yeah hard to replicate in other areas and um and i kind of miss my i miss i miss dancing in the radio studio like having having the music and something to do with the music but mostly the way i feel about radio is 
it's like this super long-term relationship I was in. And I had a lot of really great times, really amazing times. And I had some terrible ones, but mostly it was like pretty good, but I felt slightly anxious all of the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I feel really, you know, there's so much stuff like the constant, slightly niggling anxiety and the constant feeling of like, am I quite making it? Am I going to get fired? Um, and for me, a big thing was having to stay on top of everything. Like, what's the latest album? Who's it by? What do I think about it? What do I think? Of, yeah, you, know, you had to it. care about that kind of stuff. We didn't. Yeah. We would. <laughs> we just had the playlist. Uh, you had to be somewhat of an expert, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but it, uh, yeah, and I, I, I don't know which direction we should. T- there's so much we could talk about, and we only have a short amount of time, but. I suppose okay so I had Lee Cockrell on the ex vice president of of um Walt Disney World Resorts now you haven't had a chance to listen to that yet I presume I haven't the reason it almost ended my search for creative kale the conversation because what I was talking to was really quite intimidating in the sense that he's just very straightforward like very <laughs> straightforward guy gives you an answer waits for the next question kind of thing it'd be a kind of um very good um but he's he's from the business end you know we're not Walt Disney World Resorts is not making animations obviously Mm -hmm. but it is a huge show that's being put on so anyone who's worked like we have as part of a big corporation making a user experience making a customer a customer based experience which is what you're doing when you're on the radio I think we uh, we have a lot in common in terms of how how to get the best out of people and what he said was exactly what I think just from a corporate point of view so my whole belief that like uh, where radio and where where companies go wrong that are a business of entertainment is that they don't build in checks and balances to really listen to the people who are dealing with the customers they don't build in the idea that a manager could be getting it wrong um you know it's a very in an industry like you were in with radio and the same with actors i think and anything where there's a great supply and a small demand for the talented people um Mm -hmm. you can very easily have this situation where you've got that feeling of terror that you described and the slight nerves throughout an entire Mm. career of trying to please the person above and not really being treated as an expert of what you do which is what you were Marsha was you know the best at what she did on the radio and the idea that uh, so what Lee Cockerell kind of said was uh, the most interesting stuff for me was when I was saying so so how do bad managers get it so wrong how do they how how do you get a bad manager in an industry like that and he said well they're just born bad and if it's bad at the top it'll be bad all the way down but mm. but also I, I was like well how do you spot in a massive corporation like Disney how do you spot a bad manager like uh, if there's a manager at the park that's not doing what they should or whatever and he said they have um, anonymous answer phones all of the senior execs have anonymous answer phones and and you can call and tell on your manager and say what it is that they're doing and that it's wrong and they'll investigate and if that's true that person will be gone everyone's got a part to play and if you're if you're damaging the product the the idea being that the product is everything Uh the user 
experience, if you like, is everything. Now, the the idea that uh, in in radio that seems such an alien thing to me. Um, a lot of my experience of radio from the from a company point of view is sell everything as quickly as possible. You know, rather than how can we how can we make people stay with us for longer? And mm. I think some groups, including a group that you worked with quite a lot, are starting to wake up to this now and are starting to say, okay, how do we... We've we've figured out what the kind of product is in terms of the, the easy access to it. How do we now make people listen for longer? How do we build relationships with the audience? Mm-hmm. And, and that's very interesting. Um, so, yeah, when I when I first started out, mm. um, when I was doing student radio, the first all the all the first kind of professional people that I came into contact with, other than the the little station in Edinburgh that I started on, were people who worked for GWR, Great Western Radio, who kind of eventually merged with Capital and then became you know GCAP, the company that I worked for. But um, but GWR were amazing that they put this huge heavy onus on training, and they would sit down once a week with all of of their DJ and with them you you would think that it was kind of soulless in that for them you know they would have these 30 second links which if you don't know a link if you're listening like a link is the talking bit between music so it was a music radio station you would have 30 second links in that 30 seconds you know you would have to talk about this particular subject and you would have to start and end with the tagline but they were really into how can with all of these parameters how can we make it creative and they would do demo crits once a week and they would work and they would have like training conferences for the 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 DJs and for the people running the radio stations and all this stuff that kind of fell by the wayside. Um, and so to me, I feel like they really, from the outset, they looked like this very corporate company, you know, unlike unlike their competitors who would let people ramble on about whatever they wanted, but they actually really supported. And I felt like they really saw the value in the talent. I remember once seeing one of these guys speak because they used to do a lot of stuff with student radio when I was doing it. And I remember one of them saying, my breakfast show DJ, I would sell my house for him if I had to. <laughs> like they really appreciated that actually that was the the, the DJs were the like that the talent were the things that were the most important. And oh, the number yeah. of bosses that I speak to across the board, BBC to commercial, you know, the number of bosses who aren't fans of their breakfast shows or their shows is mm. phenomenal. It's mm. it's such a strange system. It feels so you what's the word utilitarian it feels like the the presenters are a utility you they're like the coffee machine being drafted right. in it, it's such a strange situation and and at the other end of the scale you have the this world where um i went to watch moana uh, the other night oh yeah oh my god marcia it's amazing it's, I've heard it is. It's amazing. <laughs> and all your activist um, tick boxes will be happy as well, yes. I imagine. Um, yes, I've read about it. There's no love story. The princess is kind of a princess, but she's not really a princess. She she wants more for her life, but she also loves home. She's not just trying to escape. She also loves where she's from. And, um, awesome. I mean, it's just... Uh, it's brilliant. The music's brilliant. It, it, it's just amazing. And you look at that. You look at the credits on that. 
Disney animation now. Um, Disney, you know, under the influence of John Lasseter from Pixar, I think, have have become obsessive about story. So you look at like mm-hmm. story by, and there's like twenty five people employed to work on the story, mm-hmm. um, and it shows how how valued they see that. Just like Netflix now, the amount of money they're putting into these series that we're talking about from Stranger mm-hmm. Things to everything else they are re- genuinely realising that content is king but they I hate that phrase so much because <laughs> I've heard it used so much in radio and it's bullshit it's used in a way that means that that means nothing if you just say content is king Mm-hmm. And then you just make a cookie cutter version of something you think will work because you've because you've reduced your audience to a demographic. Okay, mm-hmm. um, then it's not going to work. What Netflix and Disney and stuff are doing is going content is king. Therefore, employ the best people who know about story, who know about all of these things, and genuinely make it great. You know, I think in uh, radio they they're still behind the curve with that. They're still kind of um, uh, they're they're not necessarily drafting people. It's something someone said to me years ago. Was like, what if Steven Spielberg came to your radio station and looked at how you plan for your show? How would it change? Mm-hmm. You know, right. and most people That's who work brilliant. in radio, they just don't know any better. Most people who work mm-hmm. in radio have only ever worked in commercial radio. If they were to get in storytellers, people like you, mm. um, people who know about story and and writers and stuff, to 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 ask the questions: How do you really find story? How do you really structure it? How do you, you know, what is this thing? then maybe they'd help themselves. But I'm not here to rant about radio. I am here. <laughs> I'm really not. Um, I, I'm can, I, can I just really quickly say on that that, that yeah. there are few people and they're not yet in the big mainstream but who are bucking that and doing that kind of thing and if you don't already know Matt Deegan ooh, I'm going to try and get you to get him on this podcast because he'd be so good he runs Fun Kids Radio which is a kids radio station and he kind of and he's from GWR background I mean we did student radio together and we both kind of came up through that GWR uh, being trained um, sort of uh, era and um yeah and he just has a lot of very interesting ideas he's just oh my god he's one of these people i want to plug my brain into his brain and just upload everything because he's so interesting and really thinks about all of these but he does such interesting things with fun kids on air and off air as well kind of looking at their youtube channel and being like well what can we do and how can we engage people and he really nurtures the talent and one of the things that i think he does which is really a beautiful thing is he understands no one no one in radio is going, oh, it's my dream to work on Fun Kids Radio. You know, for them, it's a stepping stone. But he's not like, oh, you're going to leave us anyway. He's like, I'm going to nurture you as much as I possibly can um, and then let you go. And yeah. then we'll yeah. more. I mean, there are definitely, there's loads of people I've met who think whose brains are in the right place. There's some brilliant people working in radio, otherwise I wouldn't have worked there for so long. But <laughs> that said, institutionally, I think it's it's not a place that the way that it's incorporated business in its entertainment um, seems to uh, damage it more than help it, and it should help it. So um, they they're not. It's not like Disney are asking this question as well, but Disney in the in the case of Moana or Netflix in the case of all the things that they're doing, they are starting with the question of who do we need to employ. And how can we make it attractive for them to work with us? 
mm-hmm. to get success. Right? Yeah. I feel like what institutionally, what radio across the board thinks when it thinks about business is that it goes, how little can we pay people and how few people can we employ? <laughs> so true. <laughs> Isn't it? So and it's, true. it's like, I, I totally understand the idea of a basic business sense of, you know, the, uh, keep your overheads low. But at the same time, it's such um, an institutional thing to go, how much can we rip people off? How much, can, how, how little can we get away? Away with you know, mm. I, I'm sure I saw a piece of research once that was like, how how few songs can we get away with before an audience isn't happy with right. the number of songs? So how yeah. small can your A list be before yeah, people yeah, really yeah. start to get annoyed? And it's that kind of, um, it's almost like we're still very young in thinking about how to work business and. And I think the problem is in terms of the in terms of how they treat the staff and I think you're right is that it is this thing where so many people want to do that you know so many people want to work in radio and also a lot of people don't understand that it's not like the 80s where radio stars live in giant mansions like they don't understand that you're getting paid a pittance um and there's so yeah there's so many with any with any job same same with acting same with singing you know how so many more people want to do it than there are spaces for them to do it that it's very easy for the people in charge to treat people yeah and I, I think as well you know to be kind to the people in charge who uh, many of whom are friends i i think a lot of people have to um because it's quite a cruel it's quite a cutthroat business thing i think there's this culture that where people have to pretend that they have all the answers so they're mm-hmm. often answering to a big a guy who has all the money at the top you know somebody who's funding this venture they're all private companies now and you if you're going to get a job with them you have to you have to sit there in an interview and say i i know all the answers here and i'm going to get you listening figures you know mm. and they go yeah fine which is really damaging because sometimes they come up with great theories or they'll hear people like right. us talking and they'll go what we need to do is really make content king right. um and then they don't know how they don't know what that means or how to apply it and if they had the ability to sit there and say um we don't know enough about story let's mm. let's find out about it that would be a great place to start but they don't because mm. everyone needs to try and keep hold of their own bloody jobs and mm. so what you find if you're employed at pretty much any radio station I've never you know you've got you've got to watch what you say and who you say it to because uh, uh, there's a pyramid there that you you need to keep people happy otherwise mm-hmm. you're, you're out you know yeah and you get people like Jamie who um, Jamie is a, a brilliant personality on the radio he's, Brilliant. and he's so interesting to listen to compared to me and you I think right. um, his personality <laughs> type is one that it draws people in because he uh, because he doesn't want to be loved he doesn't care yes. you know <laughs> and yeah so funny but everybody on the radio sounds like us because um, we're the ones who will do the networking, the schmoozing, send the emails, all of that. And we please that boss, that pyramid structure. Someone like Jamie would never have got anywhere if it wasn't for me going, come on, get your arse in gear. Um, <laughs> and making excuses for him, leaving meetings early or whatever. And yet he's the most valuable thing. So there's right. a really good example of where um, the business of entertainment can 
can be spoilt by choice and they just listen to the people who shout the loudest instead of going out there and going, who can we get that listeners will really identify with? People in Chorley will identify with Jamie and his point of view much more than they'll identify with me and my point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, activism. You've become quite a strong activist. <laughs> it's so funny because in my world, I'm not. In my world, I'm a very weak, small, simple armchair activist. But um, but it's more. I feel like I have one foot in one foot in each, one foot in well, one foot in maybe a few toes in activism camp, and then the other foot in what some of my activist friends call straight world. What do you think changes the world of entertainment when it comes to things like uh, Moana? being a, a an all-female uh, a mostly female cast and not now having to be a princess with a love interest what do you mm-hmm. think changes and, and it and more? on top of that they got um taika watiti in to write who's the guy you know from making what we do in the shadows what we do in the shadows yeah last year and he made boy and he did a film this year called hunt for the wilder people oh, um, yeah. if you if you haven't seen what we do in the shadows it's a mock documentary about three vampires living together in new zealand it is one of the funniest films i have ever seen in my entire life i've watched it four times and it makes me like cry with laughter every time anyway they got him because he's polynesian and so he um you know he presumably is part of the reason why it's so brilliant but also to make sure they that they just were a lot more culturally sensitive than they uh, traditionally are with yeah. this film oh yeah cool. well okay so but my question is Sorry. no 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 it's all interesting and my question is what do you think changes uh, the world of entertainment do you think that that is a result of activism or do you think that is a result of capitalism and commerce why like why does it change like why is that more how has that happened and how has that happened Ooh, um, I'll tell you my theory just to provoke tell you theory. tell me your theory uh, I've me. discussed this a I'm lot with um, my wife my wife about um, mm-hmm. things like Ghostbusters and stuff Ghostbusters mm-hmm. brilliant film why did they make an all female Ghostbusters uh, I think because Hollywood is waking up to the fact that cinema has been aimed at men for so long and there's a market and if there wasn't mm-hmm. a market they wouldn't bother so yeah, I'm I saying agree. your activism is pointless the market <laughs> has figured it out discuss um well the activist any kind of activism has a million different um directions and tendrils right, right. but um i think yeah i think you're right that it is a, i think you're right that it is a it is a market i absolutely agree i've always been firmly of the belief that the market and capitalism drives an awful lot um but also it's the activism that makes those because it's still mostly white men in like middle-aged white men in suits the um person the client i worked with who worked in corporate mining referred to most of the people she worked with as male pale and stale (laughs) Uh, so i think it's those male pale stales in hollywood it's still them that make most of the decisions you know and you see that even when you see i watched that teen film the and there's a point where they start unfollowing each other on social media because they're having a fight and they're saying all these things and you're like that doesn't that's not how twitter works like you're making a film for teens yeah. and you don't understand how teen things work because it's the male pale styles who are making all the decisions and um and so i think what the activism does is wake them up to that whether and i don't think it's like you know small scale demos i think it's more 
um, what's her name, Kate Blanchett at the Oscars saying, wake up people, the world is round, you know, 50% of the population are women, why are we being paid so much less? But there's a, there's like a drip up effect of these things. You know, things start, it used to be okay to be hugely homophobic, it used to be okay to be hugely misogynist. And those, and racist, you know, and, and those things begin to change because someone starts kicking and screaming about it. Yeah. And like so for example i have one foot in this activist community in toronto and sometimes people say things where i'm like oh come on you know people are just whatever triggered by something well, you don't want to this is them. not, you know, yeah, I, I kind of, I, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to think of an example. There's an example that isn't a good one, but there's someone who, like, I have some friends and they're not allowed to have a Christmas, they weren't allowed to have Secret Santa at their Christmas party because one girl is triggered by Christmas, um, which I think is amazing. Um, but sometimes they're, you, but you know what I mean? Like people being like, you're being racist or you're being fat phobic or you're being whatever. And sometimes people say things and I think, oh, calm down. It, secretly i think that in my head but my feeling is i'm glad that that is the fringe i'm glad that you so here's an example dan do you know dan savage he's uh he's so dan savage people don't know he's a he's an advice columnist he's like a sex positive advice columnist um he also has a really great podcast called the savage love cast and i feel like he does so much good for the world he's brought so much to a lot of mainstream people of things like rights for sex workers and and sex positivity and and the understanding that like for example women have socialized to make everything okay so they often end up in sexual situations that they don't necessarily want to be in because they're kind of socialized to be like oh everything's fine even though i didn't actually want to give you a blowjob or whatever and so to me dan savage does so much good but some people really hate him and they like make websites being like dan savage is transphobic or he used to be accused of being biphobic and and maybe actually he was but it's just these things where i'm like come on like dan savage does so much more good than harm but i'm glad that that is the fringe that it's someone telling dan savage off for i don't know using a for going like vaginas are gross ew um, yeah, yeah is a thing i agree because it's a bit like music um, and it means the boundary isn't um you know whatever you're a woman you're terrible yeah. and you're a stupid and i used to describe it as the nipple effect to bring it back to sex positivity <laughs> which is that um in music that you have the you have pop on the nipple mm-hmm. and you have indie music on the boob and <laughs> as um we could easily use a dartboard um rather than <laughs> rather than a tit but um it seemed opposite um yes. and and yeah and without the fringe you wouldn't get the um you you won't get the activity in the middle and it needs right. to like um elbow was once on that fringe and then suddenly you started hearing a Coldplay song that sounded a little like an Elbow song and right, like right, the, right. those guys are influenced by the things going on on the edge and then Elbow makes their way to the middle and somebody else takes up the fringe Skrillex takes up the script with the fringe mm. and then a load of pop music sounds like Skrillex and um I th- I feel like it's it's mostly the same with activism it yeah. does it my sister's a, an academic and does fat study stuff fast stuff social geography around um, body image and uh, particularly oh, awesome. i mean essentially uh, t- being fat is the is really the last big sort of witch hunt that exists mm. really that people like the, still the, don't think about exists. yes yeah, totally well, the people think it's totally okay to yeah, yeah to have a go at fat people yeah. and um 
Um, sometimes I get frustrated with her world because it's very shy about talking and in the media and about doing things in public. And I'm like, if you don't, people won't change their mind. And then there's a fear mm. about being criticised. You know, well, people will say horrible things if we do that. Well, let them fucking say it. And I want to go. You know, it's easy having spent ten years on the radio to go. Oh, someone says a bad thing. Don't let it bother you. Mm. Um, so sometimes I want more academic uh, interference and publicity and uh, yeah, white noise from that world I suppose mm-hmm. but then in other but then there's trends that exist and I, I literally I cannot go a day for the last year at least I cannot go a day without my type being referred to as white male and it, it really pisses me off because you know give me an lot, example Uh, Of every day in the last year I I can't think of one now Let me think Um, Ones that I can actually talk about Um, There's definitely um, Opportunities in work That have been Scuppered as a result of Me being a white man Like the John Holmes thing Right? Oh yeah, yeah. Which, I, I okay, only so, I only so, saw the headline of John Holmes, but yeah, yeah John so Holmes. Was John like... Holmes got got let go from the Now Show, having been there for eighteen years, and BBC say it wasn't, but he says it was that it was because they want to get more a more diverse people. And he was basically saying, but 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 I understand that it's good to have diversity, but you know why let me go when I'm good and I've been doing well, and I feel like that's how you. But that's how you have to create change. Like you can't just be like let's just base it on talent because so, most oh, no, I agree with that. decisions I... are male, pale, and stale, and so you have to like put some people. I don't into know enough. Mix- yeah, yeah, yeah. But I but I think to draw the line. There is mm. a there is a line that's been drawn that is to do with male female, um, or at least a, a circle around white men that goes, mm-hmm. you've had it good for thousands of years. Now you've got to take it for a bit. I and think that's totally fair enough. I don't think <laughs> it is because I think that even... you, you, okay, I think that on. you, um, oh. being born in where were you born? In I was born in London, the south. Um, yeah, and you probably had a better education than me. You don't sound northern. Uh, you've been around London. You've had way more opportunity than I have as a. But Northern... you're discounting. You're discounting what it's like to move through the world. Okay, so I interviewed Josie Long for uh, for the X Men podcast, and actually, this is in the comedy book that we did that came out last year, off the mic. Um, and she was saying that she figured out. She was like every single. She was saying a conservative estimate, three hundred times in a year. Um, someone has either said to me. Either I've heard someone say women aren't funny or they've said, I don't usually find women funny, but you're funny or, you know, something about, you know, old comedian with tits or whatever it is. And she's like, my male counterparts haven't had that. And so I can't remember how many years she'd been in comedy, but she did the maths and was basically like, you know, this many hundreds of times or thousands of times I've had to 
have that be said to me or said around me and to respond to that. And that's going to affect me. And my male counterparts haven't had. And I understand, like, I agree with you that I have privilege for having a posh voice, for um, being middle class, for being in a position where I was able to do some work experience for free when I first started out, um, which not everyone can. And there is privilege there. But I also have walked through the world as a woman and had this and just the like gentle drip, 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 drip. This is the stuff that I never used to see. And so and so that's going to affect not only the whether or not people give me chances, but also whether or not I go for those chances and then how I behave during those chances. You I, know, there's I, a, there's I don't, traditional thing I that, get all of that. I don't, that, um, I don't question any men, of that. Men tend, to, men tend to apply for jobs they're underqualified for and women tend to apply for jobs that they're overqualified for. And so that... Um, all of I've, and so my thing of like white white men, you've had it good for thousands, you know, whatever hundreds yeah, of thousands yeah, yeah. of years. Yeah. Now it's time to break up, take a break. It's also like, you're, how old are you, Hal? Thirty six. Thirty six. Okay, so you're a baby. Don't worry. Shut um, up. So so you've had it good for thirty six years, right? It's not just like no, I not really. I, I've I have got I personally. This is m- my problem is that I have absolutely is that i am put into a camp with people who i have hated my whole life well, i have hated it's not about saying you're misogynist it's about saying mm. that you're you have stepped through so here's an example i have a friend hang who... on hang on well you know what? that what i am saying is that i hear pe- people refer to me people mm. say things offhand in the same way that josie lawrence has had offhand bullshit yes, said yeah. Jo- yeah. um Josie Long sorry um has has had I I don't like offhand things that are made because I am a type now uh my type is being said to, it, it is putting me into that same camp as the misogynists and the pricks okay if that's well, No but you need to get you need to you need to give me an example um um you would say that because you're a white man if okay. I say uh, I don't like uh, something on TV, right? Or, um... But okay, so here's the thing. Um, yes, it's it's fucking annoying when people say things like that, and sometimes it's bullshit, but the, and it's not necessarily true. But I think what's important, and this is the thing that I've had to learn, and it's painful. How is to stop and be like, well, actually, is that true? It's like when you were doing the box set pod the other week about the Baz Luhrmann thing and you were sa- and you were saying do you not like it? you know are you responding and they're like don't call me racist um, and I feel like we're so taught that being a racist or being a misogynist is like the worst thing that it has to be binary either on one or the other and that's something I've totally realised especially with like doing all my work around the Black Lives Matter stuff like what do I need to do as a white person and, and certainly as an example around race we are really taught I was speaking to my brother the other day and, and I'd said oh who are you with in, he was like in a different country. I said, who are you with? He went, oh, these other two guys who are, oh, don't know if it's a bit racist to say black. And I was like, it's not racist to say that someone's black if they are black. But we're taught that. We're taught that talking about race in any way is racist. Oh, I'm afraid and talking also, about this. I am afraid talking about this because... And also, but also we're taught that talking about this stuff, like we're taught that it's our right to not have to feel uncomfortable. And so we just don't. And I think one thing for me that's been really interesting and really painful has been to be like, well, hang on, maybe I am just saying that because I'm white and middle class. You know what I mean? It's, it's, to me, I don't think I am. I'm saying it because it's a firm opinion that I have come to because I'm an intelligent, smart person. But it's stopping and thinking like, what if they were right? <laughs> I remember um, when we were young, my 
I remember things that I, in hindsight, I go, that was sexist. That was a uh, a product of our environment. So, for example, I remember my brother saying, uh, when we were teenagers, my brother saying, I don't like any f bands with women as the lead singer. And uh, he was not wrong. He didn't like any bands that had women right. as the lead singers. But this was before the point at which... Um, women had got to the point where they could actually have a personality as a lead singer, where they weren't just a construct of men. A bit like I've heard it for for years. I have campaigned against ra to, to radio bosses about the use of women on radio. It's still like ninety eight percent of men are, are presenting on commercial radio, and the women who I, are there I are was, a ditzy sidekick. You know? I was told by my boss that he was like, "I would never put you on." On it was like some slot was coming up, and he said. I would never put you on there because I'd never have two women next to each other on the schedule. Yeah. Well, <laughs> too many vaginas. Well, here's my problem, right? Is that I think sometimes things go mainstream. Activism sometimes mm. goes mainstream mm -hmm. and people start using it in a way that really pisses me off. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm saying all publicity is great for a great cause. But for example, Jamie and I in the last two or three years of our career if you like um didn't in fact no no the, the, the our entire career we we never heard the end of you, know, you don't have two men together on the radio it, it won't work hmm. having two blokes together won't work now that is the same conversation as two women because it's saying that it's 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 a different problem it's the radio is reductive now does it happen to be white men who are the ones being reductive yeah so changing that might help. But I help. think that's the thing is I think when you're saying it's the same conversation, it's not the same conversation because of the context and the connotation around it. So when you say people are being racist against you, know, not that you would say this ever, how because you're much more involved, but anyone being like, oh, they're being racist against white people, it's not possible because white people have never been the oppressed ones no. in that context between black and white people, and so. And uh, and so it's not the exact same conversation, but I hear what you're saying. And the other thing is, like, I hear what you're saying. Sometimes people are going to say to you, that's because you're a white, straight, able-bodied man. And it's not. But I feel like that's what happens when something goes mainstream. But if that's the price that has to be paid, then it's a pretty small price. Like, you're still going to yeah. get to move through the world, but as my friend Rick says, playing the computer game of life on its easiest setting. But it needs to be argued back against, because it's in a, if you were talking physics in this it's the same as like mm. i remember my dad talking about and really i'm talking physics now i'm talking patterns all right i'm not talking about uh comparing oppressed here um mm -hmm. i remember my dad saying uh when when um sort of islamic fundamentalism started to um be on the rise uh, we were talking about there was a debate in the press about uh, women being allowed to wear headscarves and uh, hijabs and stuff wasn't there do you remember mm -hmm. that and, yeah and i remember my dad saying do you know what this is part of what comes when something like this happens just like in the 80s um, if you were Irish, if you had an Irish accent and you were on the tube or you uh, were on public transport Irish people everywhere would get looked at funny because of the IRA in the 80s mm -hmm. and, and it's almost like this is part of if you were to look at the physics, part of the cloud affecting this and that is an incredibly negative thing I understand mm -hmm. that this is a positive thing um, 
And and by the way, me and Jamie not being allowed to be two men is also sexist against women because it's saying you need a you need a ditzy woman on the show as right. well. Um, but but when I hear people very easily write things off that is based on one line, it really annoys me because I go actually solving the BBC's problems of of sex by employing 70% extra women in radio is going to do a great thing for women in radio. However, the women that I hear employed there come from the problem area that the BBC has had for 50 years, which is that Mm. they're all publicly educated Southern people who are being employed. And that is... But it's also, also, it's not about... So certainly in media, it's not about who gets the jobs it's about the perception and it's about the like just like one of the things you know with Barack Obama I had a lot of problems with him um he loved to kill people uh he he promised no more nuclear weapons and then built more than any other president and uh and but it's the the perception the visual of like a black president means that every kid growing up is like oh like every black kid growing up is like that is a job that i could have you know again with hillary who i think is a terrible warmonger i am not a fan of hers at all um not to say that i'm glad trump got in because jesus um but that was but i was aware assuming that she would get in like everyone else did i was like from a perception point of view it's going to be great being like look women you can be the ruler of the biggest com- you know the the quote unquote most powerful country in the whole world and so I think with media like I totally agree that that certainly that is another big problem that they need to deal with is everyone being totally middle class and friends with everyone else but in terms of perception I do think it's very important and I do think that that's hugely important in the media and same with Mona right like it's so important for them to have yeah but it's more important that it's good like it is more important that it's good it, no, because, because no they, one will watch it if it's shit. The, mm, yeah, 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 yeah. But I, but it's but it's no. Actually, it's, it's not more important. The, it's it's equally as important that important. So, something yeah. that is good is a result of. And I would say this is true of Barack Obama. There is no um, uh, positive discrimination going on there. This was a guy who was phenomenal and black who became president and I don't think we'll see somebody as qualified uh, as him from from the roots up I think we're going to have you know the the well, that's another conversation about the, the <laughs> Trump types you know um, so here's can I tell you something sorry sorry you finish what you're saying um, um, we need to finish in like three minutes so what I have something so interesting to tell you I'm though. going to definitely listen to you I want to say <laughs> this I do not feel like a minority. I do not feel like I'm being picked on. What I so what I really hate sometimes is when the public latch onto something and it makes them feel good. It makes them feel like they're ticking an activist box, right? Just right. like when they grab onto five fruit and veg a day, they feel like they're doing something good in the world in that particular area. It is bollocks. It's made up on bollocks. Now saying being able to point out white men have been a problem for many years is one thing but it also discounts so much about our our mothers our grandmothers our great grandmothers of how they got here how they chose to go through life in the way that they chose and I recommend to anybody to watch the Gilmore Girls <laughs> because the new episodes of the Gilmore Girls are it's a type of feminism that never never talks about it, the fact that it's feminist and it's 
my type of activism is where you go. So all I'm saying is, if we're going to start drawing lines about fairness, I am really glad that finally uh, men are being taken misogynist people including women and men are being taken on by by the world at the moment no but this is not about misogynist people it's about culture which you can be in and be part of and i have been in and been part of um and and be contributing to without realizing it that it's not that's the problem like that's the problem with when you're a white person you're like oh i'm fine because i never use the n-word but you don't realize the little drip 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 of racism that you might be doing and i feel like that's the and and like yes it's annoying when people latch onto things and start being like oh you're just being a white man um just kind of knee-jerkly without thinking it through but if the net result is people are waking up to privilege and starting to be aware and more careful then yeah that's good I, that's somebody said to me the other day a wise old person said to me the other day something really interesting which was um, we all we all got here like the, the, the culture you're talking about the, the culture which um, bred misogyny and allowed misogyny was everybody's responsibility not oh, yeah. just the white man and I'm annoyed at the moment because it feels like whether people live their lives as fair minded activist people I am blamed for something that I didn't do right. I didn't right. do no, it I agree with you we're all yeah we're all we're all complicit in it and, and we're all complicit just even in misogyny things you know that's a big thing for me the, of kind of waking up to this stuff when I used to get wolf whistled on the street that I would be like oh yeah, mm, yeah thanks and now I'm like fuck you I'm not an object but I'm still aware you know but just those little things that I would say and do things that were contributing to all of that I would like really flirt with people if it would get my student radio station ahead in radio I never did it just myself because I had felt icky about that but totally I would do that Deborah Francis White who I wrote the book with the comedy book off the mic <laughs> available yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with, has a really funny bit in her show where she talks about um, walking down the street and being wolf whistled and being like fuck you still got it you know and then and then being wolf whistled another time and turning around to be angry and realising that he's instead catcalling a younger thinner lady behind her and she's like simultaneously <laughs> furious on her behalf and crushed and they now her and Sophie Hagen now do an amazing podcast called The Guilty Feminist which is kind of yeah. based on the principles of all of those things but yeah absolutely okay so right, see so where was, I am I have never in my yeah, life thought less- anything other than anyone who wolf whistles, wolf whistles is, is rude. That's okay, so it. This is the, so this is the crux that it's like we're where all I wanted to get and to. And not just, it's not just the white men who are the bad guys. Like yeah, all of I, but, I want to stop people being horrible to other people. That's where right. I want the line to be drawn without having to say this was your fault or I presume mm. this was your fault. So it wasn't. I wasn't alive. <laughs> I've, I've been as much part of it as my wife has up mm-hmm. until this point, um, because I genuinely have been brought up in a way by my parents, which says to be rude or to. Yeah, but the problem is not just about using the N word or or being or catcalling someone. That the problem is more the little drip 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 things um, that happen. Even stuff like I was out for lunch with a bunch of mostly white dudes um, all quite alpha and then I started talking and one of them talked over me and then because I'm socialized to make everything okay I just stopped and I was so cross with myself afterwards but that's the thing that happens all the time yeah, but that's because, because you talk so much no no but <laughs> but this is the thing that happens Marcia get... earlier no, 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 I went and opened the back door let my rabbit in made myself a cup of tea sat down again while you'd said one sentence and that's true 
But still, if you interrupted me, Hal, you would be aware of it and apologize for it. But this guy yeah, didn't, sorry. and I'm sure I've done it. And and this, I've noticed even more. So I have a friend who lives in Detroit and does a lot of activism there. And I remember him telling me, I need to be careful when I'm in meetings because I'm aware that as a white, straight, able-bodied man, I have walked through life with people backing down and listening to me. And I'm used to, and when he said that to me, I started keeping an eye on myself. And I noticed, particularly with two friends of mine who are women of color, one of whom is, is like really really like um um I'm just stuttering because I'm like should I be talking about this on a podcast but I just noticed basically that I would because I interrupt a lot but that the, they and other women that I speak to will just stop talking immediately and I'm like from this shark tank background where like you snooze you lose you just jump in with conversation but actually I've started to be aware of like being used to people backing down just like this guy who I was at lunch with who's a super nice dude but he's used to just talking and people and people listening to him. And so he didn't even hear that I had started talking because I don't know, for whatever, for whatever reason. And nobody went, Oh, hang on. Marsha had started a completely different sentence because I just shut up and stopped. Whereas I think the only way for me to have carried on was just to literally keep talking and then to have to turn to him and be like, I started before you, but it happens all the time. And so that's the kind of thing. And that's not about him catcalling me or being misogynist or being, you know, that's the little drip, drip, drip that we don't notice, which as I say, I have been complicit in. I'm sure I've done that. Uh, I'm no, sure I do. That. I, I, and so I, it's that you can't, think that this is the problem is if we think that racism or misogyny is using the n-word or whatever calling a woman a slag or being overt then we can all walk around being like oh well i never do that so that's totally fine so i never have to think about this oh wait there wait there in fact we have to finish my piano lesson is here i'm teaching a piano <laughs> lesson one thing i will just say is that my point is that potentially the trend is for that guy to be as wonderful and thinking to say that i need to stop cutting people off your, your friend who who didn't cut someone mm -hmm. off uh, because i'm a white able-bodied man um I, uh, I have been in so many groups of different types of people. I went to drama school, for God's sake. I am mm. I am used to everybody, regardless of sex, interrupting each other and competing in a bum fight. And that's that's my experience of the world. Now I don't know whether that's because you are a woman or whether that's because he's a dick. He's not, and I think your experience in drama school is 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 somewhat exceptional because people do tend to be, you know, us 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 showboats tend to yeah. be a bit mouthier. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I know this guy. He's not a dick. He's a really nice guy. He just moves through the world in here's a, here's a, so let me tell you another Deborah Francis White thing to explain this brilliantly so she she talked about in the same show um, she talked about how when she first moved to London from Australia everybody said oh my god driving in London is a nightmare and she was an au pair and she would drive the family's Volvo and she was like driving in London is lovely everyone is so nice to me like everybody gets out of the way when I need to come by and everyone's lovely and then a few months later she drove her boyfriend's Honda Civic and suddenly was like oh my God, everyone on the streets of London lost their mind. And he turned to her and said, you have to stop driving like you're driving a Volvo. And because, and it wasn't that people were so polite. It's that everyone was just getting out of her way because she was in the big car. And that's what it's like when you move through the world with privilege is you just think, oh, everyone's so polite. Oh, I can just talk whenever. You know, people tend to listen when I talk because I'm the smartest person in the room. Richard Hammond and wrote, wrote an article which was the exact opposite, which was that when he, he went, he had to drive his wife's Fiat panda into town and he had to pull over almost in tears because he was he was cut off and bullied so mm -hmm. much so um 
There you go. That's yeah, that's what privilege is. It's because anyway, you're listen, not aware of it. Listen. And so now this is what we're doing, Hell. We're waking up to it. Mm, my neighbour Nikki is sitting here waiting for a <laughs> piano lesson. Well, Sorry, Nikki. So that she can learn to be as talented as you. So I'm going to go. Um, thank you. This has been. I knew it would turn into a can of worms. Um, <laughs> we must. We'll continue it another time. Um, that was really fun. Thank you, Marsha. And Thanks see you next now. week when Jamie will return. He has had a baby, or should I say, he inseminated a woman who gave birth. <laughs> uh, and that child is now two weeks old, and uh, he can tell us about that next week. And Very excited. Thank you, Marsh. Bye. See you later. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.